Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. I'm so glad that you're here, and I always appreciate the invitation to come to City on a Hill Community Church to worship and minister alongside my brothers and sisters. There was some uh, last night and uh, early this morning phone calls and texts back and forth um, but it looked like the, uh, like, like Pastor Joe said, the forecast was much, much ado about nothing, and so I um, uh, had a safe trip out, and I'm always happy to be here. Uh, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name's Tom Richter. I'd love that chance, and uh, over the years have gotten to know you, and uh, really am excited about what the Lord has laid on my heart to share with you today. And it's, uh, it's something I'm kind of doing at my church. I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a pastor of a church in Jamaica, Queens, that meets in the evening time. So I race out of here and preach at 4.15. And uh, so what that allows me to do, I, I have a point to this story. I'm, 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 I'm going to preach to you what is really part three of a series I've been doing. Uh, three, part three of three. It's the grand finale, the conclusion. So, so follow me on this. Like, I don't know if you've ever pondered that. But since I don't preach here every Sunday, and I preach at my church every Sunday, it means this. The sermons that I bring to you have been called. They're hand, I'm able to take the best ones and bring them to you, right? Which means, which means that there's a lot at my church that's just a swing and a miss. So... Be encouraged that you're getting the best. And be further encouraged that if you ever hear a sermon from me where you're like, that was a swing and a miss, just imagine how bad the real swing and a miss is. You're actually hearing a mitigated strikeout, not the full-blown failure. Uh, so anyway, um, and, and that's what I'm doing. And I'm, I'm excited about um, uh, preaching this message tonight and needed guinea pigs. And so... Uh, that's you, and so I'm. Uh, uh, it's it's fresh. This is you can still has that new sermon smell, and uh, and it's it's all about um, uh, coming to church. Ironically, it's all about coming to church and attending corporate worship. Uh, first thing I want to say, I always try to give credit where credit is due. Everyone who's ever preached the gospel, we are all masterful plagiarists because there's only one book. You understand? We don't, we don't like invent new material each week. This is, this is what we have to work with. Uh, however, ministers will often have an angle and an insight, and I don't want you to think that I create all these things. In fact, I want you to know where to find it so you can go and read more about it. The, the, the idea for this message and a lot of the substance, the points, came from something written by Matthew Westerholm. And he is the worship leader. He is a worship pastor at uh, Bethlehem Baptist, which was made famous for years because it was John Piper's church. So it's a big church. And if you go to Desiring God, this website, Desiring God, and you look up Matthew Westerholm, you might find this article. And if you do, I don't want anybody to email Matthew Westerholm and be like, why are you stealing Tom Richter's stuff? Uh, I'm stealing his stuff. Is everybody clear? Okay. Um, and the question and the article struck me, and I, I thought, that's going to be a sermon one day. I filed it away, and here we are years later, and sure enough, it has made its way into a sermon. And, and the, the question is simply this. It's the question that every nine-year-old has asked you who are parents. It's a question that some of you have in your own mind, and it's simply this. You ready? Why do we have to go to church again? That's it. Now, some of you had to answer this question today. Some of you had to answer this question because you have a nine-year-old. You have a little kid, and they've asked you this all the time. Do we have to go to church again, right? But here's the thing. Even if you're not a parent, 
And you don't have to answer this for your little kid. This sermon's not just for parents. You know why? Because many of us have a nine-year-old that is running around in our brains all day long, making way too many decisions, right? We're making decisions like nine-year-olds, right? Let's see, healthy food, but there's candy. All right, right? So we're making decisions like nine-year-olds, and that little nine-year-old's running around, and we have to answer it for ourselves. We have to answer it for ourselves. Why are we going to church again? Speaking of, just for a second, kids. I know I'm, I'm joking, we're all not parents, but many of you are parents. I myself am parents. It gets more difficult, not less, to come to church. I know it's like, I'm going to come to church once I have kids. If you're single or you're not me, once I have kids, then I'll go to church. Because I want my kids raised up in church. You know, me, I don't, my relationship with God, whatevs. But my kids, you know, that really matters and stuff. Let me tell you, it doesn't necessarily, in some ways, maybe it gets easier with the motivation. But in some ways, it gets more difficult. Because you start to think, how am I going to get these kids out of the house, right? How? Some people wonder, hey, Tom, why don't you have a Sunday morning service? Why does your first service start at 4.15 p.m.? And you might think it's because we rent space from a Lutheran building and they have needs in their service and all that stuff. But it's because I start looking for shoes at 9 a.m. And 4.15 is the only hope I have of getting there on time, right? Or maybe it's bitterly cold outside and you think this, right? On a more serious and substantive theological level. You know what? I've got my Bible. And I've got my worship music. I can go to YouTube and listen to Hillsong and Chris Tomlin. I've got my Jesus, my music, YouTube. I've got, which is really about me. Basically, I've got YouTube and my tube. I've got my, my, my Jesus, my Bible. Not a lot of we, not a lot of we, very little we. But lots of me, and I can worship my Lord, right? Um, it, there, you can even go now. You can go to entire online services. Right? There's a whole church service that's online. I just read it. Christianity Today, the, the number, the percentage of pastors who are like, one day I think the whole thing will be online, right? Which, you know, come on, nonsense. But I think it was just meant to, like, get us to uh, read the article because it was so crazy. But, but you know, and there's a lot of online services. Now, listen, I'm not knocking online services. I'm not knocking at all. I'm not hating on the idea of getting out there. You know why? Because there's a lot of people who had never set foot in a church. Right? There are lost people who, what an awesome technology that can get people to kind of sample church without having to go. That's awesome. But for those of us who are Christians, we know that's not church. Right? That's right. But yet, there's still that temptation for many of us. Why do I have to go? I know that I'm preaching to the choir, and so um, sometimes you hear a sermon, it's very challenging. But sometimes, if you're hearing a sermon, and this is something you do already, be affirmed. I'm affirming you. I'm encouraging you. This is a good thing. This isn't, you know, like, you're here today. Check, right? So be affirmed by what you hear. And yet that question still comes to me, why do we have to go to church again? And why, also notice this word again, right? What's up with, like, I could see going to church, but why again? Did we fail last week? Like, did, did we do it wrong? Did we not quite worship well enough? I mean, wasn't last week's service enough? There is an expectation that you attend every single week. But why? I mean, let's, let's really get to our heart's motivation. Why over and over? You could be like the guy I met a couple years ago who told me, I have absolutely regular attendance. I'm here every Easter. <laughs> Clockwork. For like 20 years. Now, you don't get more regular than that, you know? I was like, you sort of do, right? One guy was like, I'm the CEO of this church. What are you talking about? Christmas, Easter only. I was like, what? Come on, man. Like, tragic. Uh, now, I know it may seem, and what I'm trying to say is, I know it may seem unspiritual to think that you struggle with this, but we've all been there. 
I myself, uh, from time to time, even uh, can get a little discouraged and, and, and think, you know, why again? And my wife points out a verse uh, to me to an- in answering this question. It's always been helpful to me. <clears throat> like, <laughs> you, <laughs> you're paid, you're a professional Christian. Uh, <laughs> So here we go. This is the real answer. This is the real answer. And this is about all we get. And I don't know. I mean, maybe you, the, the Lecce family, maybe you have an entire, um, uh, you know, uh, box of ammunition, scriptural ammunition, when people are like, why do we have to go to church again? But this, it's more like a cannon. It's just got the one shot, and then you hope it works. And it's Hebrews chapter 10. I want to invite you to turn there to Hebrews chapter 10. Obviously, I have it up here on the screen, so you can follow along there. But this really is the answer. And, and, and it it is the, kind of the only answer that we often hear. And it's the one, you know, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. Everybody know that one? If you don't, I'll read it to you right now. And now you will know the reason, the scriptural reason. Uh, verse 24 says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Here it is. Not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That, technically, is the answer. The Bible commands us to meet together and not neglect the meeting together, not neglect the worship gatherings, and that is that, right? The Bible says it, we do it. End of discussion. But I promised you, I promised you not just a theological reasoning for those of you here, I promised you that we would be able to answer every nine-year-old's question about why we have to go to church. And that's where we run into problems. And and back it up. Back back it up a few verses. Start in verse 19 and get a running start at those verses. And listen to what he says. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way he has opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near uh here's the thing those verses early on sunday morning when your kid is asking me why do we have to why, asking you why do we have to go those verses are totally true they're all true they're the bible but would you agree with me they need just a little bit of unpacking and application for a nine-year-old would you agree with me they need a little bit of unpacking and application for you and me right i mean they're going to be a little tough in that raw format to explain to your nine-year-old, based on the theology of Hebrews, why they need to go to church this Sunday morning, right? How does that go down? Why? Well, Billy, because the blood of Jesus, who is now our new high priest, has affected for us a remission of sins, and our justification is not based upon the old covenant, but upon what our new high priest did. So unless you plan on going to sacrifice a bull or a goat to affect your own justification, Melchizedek, I suggest you get in the minivan. Here's your fruit snack. Here's your fruit snacks for, for, for kingdom kids. There's your, your fruit snacks, right? Right? But that's...
that's what he's saying? And the theology is there. And as I was preparing the sermon, Jackie's like, you excited about what you're going to say today? I was like, are you kidding? I wrote a sermon for a nine-year-old. And what I realized is every sermon should be written for a nine-year-old. They're so awesome. When you get done, you're like, a nine-year-old could understand this. It's like, yes, because I'm that nine-year-old. So here we go. When you get... When you get asked questions, you give them three answers, three answers, and they're, they're, nine-year-old can understand it. You can, it you, if not, you get a little chance to explain it to them, and if they help you and they bless you, maybe the nine-year-old in your head needs to hear these things, and maybe you can even put them on your refrigerator. I don't know. If they bless your family and they encourage you, why do we have to go to church? Answer number one, you tell them we go to church because Jesus is alive. Number one, we go to church on Sunday morning. I'm getting up. I know it's cold outside because Jesus is alive. Some of you, you don't, you're not even having to write them down, are you? See, nine-year-olds can just remember. Just write this on your heart, number one. But seriously, don't fail me. You, you might want to write it down, because I've been there. We're going to church for three reasons. Reason number one. Right? So just, just write it down, all right? Hot shot. Here we go. Because Jesus is alive. That's the first reason. Let's back it up. There it is in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus by a new, say it with me, new and living way. He's opened for us through that curtain. That's his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, we didn't had a great high priest. We currently have a great high priest over the house of God. The new and living way means that Jesus is alive. I was, this week, I was talking to someone and we were, she had a lot of questions and so we met and we began talking through some really intricate doctrinal details and at some point in the conversation, it got brought up about all the different Christian denominations And she was talking about, I mean, from Catholic to Orthodox to Protestant, but even within Protestantism, we started talking about all the different denominations. And at some point, we both almost had to laugh a little bit at this thought. There may be a lot of differences, okay? There may be a lot, and there are. There are so many doctrinal differences. I mean, we we have charismatic church. We we got people here, charismatic and cessationist. We got people who are are, are Calvinist, full-blown, and we got Arminians. We got cowboy churches in Texas and hipster churches in Brooklyn. But let me tell you this. If a dead Jew from Nazareth got up and walked out of that grave, the rest is small potatoes. Isn't it? I mean, right? A nine-year-old can understand that. Because if that dead heart started beating, if those dead lungs took a breath, then that's the single most important thing that's happened since ever. And that means, ev- that means everything is different. I cannot overstate that. So let me say everything is different. As a preacher, you want nuance. You want to qualify everything. This is unqualified, and I know it. Everything is different if he's alive. And because he's alive, uh, that means every single Sunday is a little mini Easter. That's what this is. It's a little mini Easter. It's like every time we come, we don't use these words necessarily, and we don't wear all the fancy clothes. Fine. We don't have the funny hats and the, the you know, potluck. But let me, oh, you guys don't do funny hats? All right. Uh, uh, but but, but it's, it's a mini Easter. In, in big and small ways. You know what this worship band's saying? And they may not use these words. You know what my sermon's saying? They may not use these words. But the worship band is saying, he is risen. And with the sermon, I'm saying, he is risen indeed. That's all we're saying. That's our hope. So why? And, and, and your kids may get kind of clever. Some of you have clever kids. See how politely I worded that? I didn't say smart, I like I said clever. And uh, some of them may get clever and say, yeah, but then why on Sunday? Isn't every day mini Easter? And you would say, well, you might say this. 
remember, Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday morning. And as the news of that spread, his friends spent that whole day telling each other the story and talking about what it means that he's alive. And it, they, named, they nicknamed it the Lord's Day. It was a thrilling way to spend the day. Those who were culturally and ethnically Jewish may have still observed the Sabbath, fine. Those who were Gentiles, fine. The key was the Lord's Day, celebrating. It was a thrilling way to spend the day. And so they decided to do, to do it again the next week, then the next week, then the next week. And 2,000 years later, we're just on the next, 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 next week, celebrating that he is alive. I, I tell my kids, think of it like your birthday. The day you were born is so special that the people who love you commemorate it every year. The day Jesus rose from the dead is so special that we got to that the people who love Jesus celebrate it every week. That's why we celebrate it on Sunday, and that's why we're going because Jesus, Jesus is alive. One word for all you adults. That's how I explain it to my kids. One word for all you adults. Uh, the reason you do it on Sunday at the front of the week, it sets the direction and the tone for your whole week. You already know this, right? You already know this. Have you ever noticed how you spend the first hour of your day affects the rest of your day? Isn't that true? I mean, you, you, you exercise and eat right, and what happens? You're miserable the whole day. I'm, I'm, just, kidding. I'm just kidding, James. Okay. You exercise and eat right, and what happens? It rewards you the whole day. It rewards you the whole day. Sometimes you exercise, and you have that little soreness, and you're like, yeah. Right, like that, that feels good because it means I'm, I'm healthy, I, I feel vigorous, you know, and strong, it's, it's a good thing. Or you spend time in prayer, you have a certain time of day, and uh, you decided that what you do is more important than what God does, so you skipped your prayer. Sorry, shots fired, but they were fired at myself, okay? They were fired at myself. Uh, that's what skipping prayer says. It says, what I accomplished today is more important than what you accomplished today, God. Uh, so send the army out, then the choir, you know, to, to, to use the Jehoshaphat, that's Jehoshaphat, P-H-A-T, uh, and that, uh, that, 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 to use that illustration, it means what, what I do, then, you know, then we'll celebrate later, but I, I, I'm, talking, I'm talking to myself here, when I skip my prayer, I have a different kind of day, you jump right into email and calls and the stress begins, you would agree with me, you have a different kind of day, that's all I'm trying to say, everybody make sense? You, you might not even believe in God. If you were here today and you were completely lost, you would still agree with me on this point. The, day, the way you start that first hour of your day really matters. Everybody with me? So the way you start your week, ponder this. What does your week look like if you start it parked at the mouth of an empty tomb? How's your week look? <clears throat> True or false? Problems look a little less hairy when just in the background of that problem is the empty tomb. A lot of those problems get swallowed up in an empty tomb, don't they? Some of you have an obsession, a scene, a worry, a fear, and you play that scene over and over again. Well, what does it do to that scene when the empty tomb photobombs that scene? And just behind your worry, there's the empty tomb. <laughs> the rest is rock and roll because I'm alive, Right? Doesn't that, doesn't that change the picture in your head if the backdrop is the empty tomb? That's it. So, little children, we're going to church because Jesus is alive. Now get in the van. All right? Cool? You got that one? All right? We're not done. I got a second one. Some of your kids need convincing. And so we tell them, and some of us need convincing, we're going to church today because Jesus is alive, but we're also going to church today to practice the gospel. We're going to church to practice the gospel. Look at verses 22 and 23. The Bible says, 
Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed in pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You can tell your kids or you can tell yourself, whoever needs to hear it, we're going to church today to remember and to practice the gospel. Here's what I mean. Some words are easier to learn than others. They come very natural. No one has to teach us words like mine and no, right? Those come remarkably natural to us, okay? Other words are more difficult, and they take a lot of time to learn. Words like thank you and I'm sorry. Those words are very hard. I have to train my children to say those words. I have to train them to say thank you by withholding the thing for which they're thanking me until they, in fact, say it. Like, literally, Dad, can you bring me some goldfish crackers while they're watching TV? And they're watching TV, and I hand them the crackers, and they're like, I take the crackers back, stand between them and the TV, and go, <clears throat> until, right? Okay? Why? Because I, that's really hard to train them to say thank you. And it's not just the words. I want their hearts to feel that thank you and that gratitude, right? So church is a place where we remember these words in the most important ways. Each and every week, what do you hear at church in song, sermon, prayer, and as we fellowship, all different kind of ways of this truth that makes sense of the world. And the truth that makes sense of the world is the gospel, the good news, the royal announcement that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You get that and you hear it over and over and over. Every time you come to church, you hear somebody preach the good news of the gospel. Maybe they put it in a different way that week. Maybe they say something like, like, while we were dead in our sins and transgressions, God, who is rich in mercy, God, who's abounding in love, did not hold our sins against us, but he made us alive in Christ. God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. And this stuff in Hebrews about our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure water. What's he talking about? He's talking about what the sacrifice Jesus did once for all. No longer could, could, could blood and goats never Never, I should say, could blood and goats take away sin. They, they, they could cover it, in a sense, under the old covenant, but they could never wash away until Christ's sacrifice once and for all for the remission of sin. It's good news. The gospel means, as Tim Keller says all the time, you are more wicked than you ever wanted to consider. And at the same time, you're more loved than you ever dared imagine. He says the gospel's more. You think you're bad? Oh, no, you're, you're much worse. You're much worse. And your conscience is only allowed to see some stuff. It's, it's bad. And at the exact same time, you're more loved. And God is closer to you than you might think. And if you can hold those two things together, what do you have? You have a Christian. Somebody who can look at the world and go, yeah, Christianity makes sense of the world. If you ask me in one sentence, why are you a Christian? I said, it's the only thing that's intellectually robust and existentially satisfying. It's the only thing that's just smart enough to account for the realities of the world is Jesus. It's the only thing that makes sense. And so we remember the good news that he died for our sins, he rose again, and he's coming back. Now here's the thing. Even though we remember that, we remember how do we have this, 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 this assurance of faith? You see that in verse 22? How do our hearts have a true heart with full assurance of faith? And the answer is verse 23. We hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because we're so good. We're so good in our faith. We're so strong. We just kind of toughen up each week. No, we come here each week to hear somebody say, he who promised is faithful. 
You know, if all you did was come to church each week to get pumped up by a motivational speaker, you wouldn't need the gospel. You just need good advice. And you would spend lots and lots of money to get Tony Robbins and, you know, Oprah, I mean, whoever. I'm not hating on these people, but you understand. Just, just, just come here and give you more good advice. But eventually that would wear thin and you would go, I don't need good advice. I need some good news. And the good advice is only going to get you so far. You need to hear good news. Good news that you are able to hold on to this faith, not because of your great faith, but because of the faith is placed in the great one, in King Jesus. And he who promised is faithful. I've been at City on a Hill long enough to hear testimonies. People come up, and what do they do? They share from their heart. People give exhortations. I've even heard people before the offering, right? It's like, okay, okay, before the offering. And then I'm, I'm struck in my heart by something they're saying. I thought they were just setting up the offering. No, they're giving a testimony that all points to what? He is faithful. Over and over again. You've heard it too. And that's why we come together to remember and to practice the gospel. Now, not just in sermons, but uh, you do not need, you guys sing loud. So I could skip this part. But there may be somebody on the podcast who doesn't sing as loudly as you. So for them... Let's preach through this. The songs, the music. <clears throat> it's so important because something, yes, our minds need to be touched, and I, tr I try to do that to some degree in the preaching, but our hearts need to be touched. And of course, songs also touch our brain. But music can stir us in a powerful way that prose can't do. We need poetry, right? And we often listen to the words of these songs, and what are we singing? We're singing about sin and what it means. We, we, we begin to feel regret in our hearts, and we're able to say through these songs, I'm sorry, God, for sinning against you. Hear that word? I'm sorry. That's hard. We get to practice it each week in the one place it matters most. And we can hear his words of forgiveness in both scripture and the songs we sing. Over and over, you hear these words of forgiveness, and what does it teach your heart to say? Thank you, God. And over and over, you do that. And you know what starts to happen? You become a person who, at your workplace, you can say, I'm sorry, and thank you a little more easily. You become a person who suddenly doesn't fear every time you meet another person. Isn't there always just a little bit of fear? What's this person's angle? What do they want from me? Am I good enough for them? Right? It's insecurity or it's fear. It's kind of a mixture of both. Right? Can you imagine walking through life knowing every single person I meet, it's Jesus Christ that, that matters most. Between him and me and with Jesus Christ at work, I don't really have to fear human beings so much. God's at work. God's working. Right? I'm not, I'm not on the hook for how this person's life turns out. It's Jesus that's working. And those words get a little bit easier to say. Words that used to be so natural, mine, and no, little by little get replaced with I'm sorry and thank you. And those words that are not so easy to say. So we go to remember and practice the gospel. We go to church because Jesus is alive. And we're going to church to practice the gospel. Now get in the van. Okay? Everybody with me? Okay, so you see your kids getting in, and one of them gets in because Jesus is alive. The next one gets in because uh, practice the gospel. But then there's that third one. I'm still not convinced. Okay, what do we say to him? This is my favorite. We're going to church today to learn how to love strange people. And when I said that, many of you right now thought of actual faces and names. You thought, Lord, yes. You listening, creep? Okay, maybe you didn't. Uh, maybe you're too nice. Maybe you're thinking, yes, if you want to learn to love strange people, they don't get stranger than us. Welcome to our church. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, think, uh, I think you need to come to New Hope. W what I mean is, um, what I mean by that, when we go to church, it means, what do I mean by strange? What do I mean by strange? It means we're going to learn to love 
people who are different than us. Now, here's the thing. The church, oh, whoops, whoops, there's, you know, that whole Bible thing we're supposed to preach from. And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote, here it is, promote love, promote love. One of my favorite quotes, Oscar Thompson, I think, I think it was him. God gave us the church to practice love. <laughs> there it is. Another great quotation from a guy, Paul, not, probably not the author of Hebrews, he or she says, and let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works. Not staying away from our worship means as some habitually do, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here these words are about loving and promoting love. Now when I say strange people, I just mean the gospel does this thing. We go to church and we get better at loving people who are different of us. So, so ponder that for a second. Without the gospel, okay, without Jesus, without the church, I would never have met you. And my life would be poorer for have not having met you. Stay with me. Ponder that. I came to New York because, you know, I went to seminary in Jersey and all that's because of God. And then I came to New York because of God. And you guys are here because of God. We would not have met. It just wouldn't have happened. I mean, unless you're hanging out in Murray, Kentucky. That's what I thought. So, right, we wouldn't have met, okay? Now, James and I have become close friends. Many of you know that. I wouldn't have his friendship were it not for the gospel. But that's not the point of we go to church to love strange people. Why? Because James and I would choose to be friends anyway without the gospel. I think. I mean, I picked you. I don't know. <laughs> right? Why? Because we're so alike. We're about the same age. We both have these kids. Fantasy football. Right? Right? You, everybody with me? I would have chosen to hang out and that's how everybody chooses to spend their time this is crucial everybody i know we want to spend time with people who we feel most comfortable around that means people who are like us we choose to join associations we choose to hang out with people who have the same amount of money as we do we choose to hang out. If given our choice, we'd hang out with people who have the same, perhaps the same skin color as we do. Or, or they're the same age as us. Or they like the same foods and watch the same TV shows. We're into the same music. And other kinds of people are, by definition, strange to them. But there's a big, big danger in that. Because the world's filled with many people who are very different. And if we only spend time with people like ourselves, we'll be tricked into believing that somehow we're not just different, but we're a little bit better than those who are not just like us and at its best and i've seen glimpses at my church and i've seen glimpses at your church right here at its best the church helps us avoid that problem it reminds us that fundamentally the most basic thing about us is not and has never been our money or our skin color our age or our favorite taste the most basic thing about us is that we are sinners who need a savior. And because of that, our church is filled with people who are different from us. And we're all learning that we're not better than others. We're all in the need of same grace. And we gather with these strange people to remember that we also were estranged from God. And recognize that the gospel unites estranged people and God. And so we go to church to learn how to love strange people. To be blown away by the fact that in my church, just last week, I was, I was pondering. I have two families from Pakistan. That's a long way from Murray, Kentucky. And, and a couple families from Bangladesh were sitting there. 
And as I was looking around the table at this Bible study, one, I don't mean first generation. I mean, they came from Russia. And he's sitting there. And the Russian who's sitting next to the Brazilian, who's sitting next to the Pakistani, sitting next to the Brazilian, from the dude from China and two kids from India. But they, weren't, they were born in America, so, you know, no big deal, right? And in our little United Nations, I thought, I, have, I would never choose to hang out with you. Some of you, I like the fact that I got to hang out with you. Others of you, having known you now for a while, I still would not choose to hang out with you, right? Right? You know that nervous laughter where everybody knows I'm saying exactly what's true, right? I just wouldn't, you know? We're not into the same stuff, right? And yet every single week, think about how often I see some of you. We, wouldn't, we just wouldn't hang out. And yet every single week, you know why? Because you think the most important thing about you is the gospel. And I think the most important thing about me is the gospel. And we've decided that's enough. Like, and I'm, I'm choosing to hang out with you. And I'm getting better at loving strange people. And so are you. And it, we can't do that once a year. You, you can't. Right? And you guys go, you know, with the hill houses and all that stuff. Yes. Right? Good. All that. Thumbs up. Uh, to that. It's just the same concept. We're going to church to learn how to love strange people. Uh, I want to close with, uh, I wanted to close with singing a song, but that would be horrifying. So I'm going to close by reading, <laughs> really, like if I, if, if one day, you know, if I could have thought, if I thought of this a year in advance, I would have had Steve to prepare the song or something, but I didn't do that. So I'm just going to read it to you. It's better that way. So Derek Webb, okay, Derek Webb has a very complicated history as a Christian artist. He has a very complicated history with the church. And me, <clears throat> I tend to be deeply drawn to artists that are complicated, and you probably are too. Anyway, about 10 years ago, he made an album about the church, and in that album, he pretty much takes a whip and turns over tables from floor to balcony. And uh, he calls out hypocrisy, judgmentalism, he, and whew, he takes preachers to task, calling us stale, uh, salesmen and thieves. Uh, he, he call, he, the, there was a big hubbub. The album's called She Must and Shall Go Free. Uh, retail, Christian Retails pulled it because he said the church is a whore who's running down the aisle trying to cram into that wedding dress. Anyway. It's in my top five albums that I own. I absolutely love it. So in honor of it, I listened to it the whole way here again, and I just bought it for a friend of mine who'd never heard it because he's in his, I forget now, people are 20s and 30s. Uh, used to be me. Uh, but anyway, these, these kids today that uh, I thought were peers, but in fact, they're much younger than me. Um, uh, anyway, I bought him the album for his birthday because if you don't know it, the album She Must and Shall Go Free by Derek Webb. So anyway, just, I mean, makes mince meat. And I will admit, I'll be the first to admit, that the church, and we as preachers especially, make for very easy targets with our sinful stuff, and sometimes just stupid stuff that we say and do, right? And now we have all the sin and the stupidity, but we also have social media, where everyone can see the sin and stupidity of we, we who are church leaders. So you think an album with that would end with a breakup song, right? Like, hey church, call me when you get it right. Or... <clears throat> You know, here's the right way to do church, and so when you guys get on board, let me know, right? Instead, the album ends with a last song, a very simple song, number 11 out of 11 on the CD, and it's called The Church, and he wrote it from the perspective of Jesus Christ, and here are the lyrics. It would be better if I could sing it. <clears throat> he says, uh, I have come with one purpose. 
to capture for myself a bride. By my life, she is lovely. By my death, she's justified. I have always been her husband, though many lovers she has known. So with water, I will wash her, and by my word alone. So when you hear the sound of the water, you will know you're not alone. Because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her if you love me. You will love the church. I have long pursued her as a harlot and a whore, but she will feast upon me. She will drink and thirst no more. So when you taste my flesh and my blood, you will know you're not alone. Because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. There's none that can replace her, though there are many who will try. And though some may be her bridesmaids, they can never be my bride. Because you cannot, because I haven't come for only you, but for my people to pursue. You cannot care for me with no regard for her. If you love me, you will love the church. I love the church. You love the church. Let's tell our kids that's why we got to go to church. Father, we're here today because you are alive. Jesus, you are alive. And we're here today to practice the gospel. And we're here today to learn to love strange people. Thank you, Lord, that when we go through the waters of baptism, we are reminded by that great ordinance that we are not alone. And here before us, we have the second great ordinance of the Lord's table. And when we taste this bread and when we taste the cup, we will be reminded we are not alone. In so many ways, we are not alone. Not alone because you have not abandoned us and not alone because we come to the Lord's table as a people who are mystically somehow united by people who would otherwise maybe not even hang out together. We're here in need of it. Same grace, same ultimately, same sin. So we love you and we ask God that you would pour out grace upon your church, the church here, the church that is expressed through the local body at New Hope in Jamaica, Queens, the church that I worshiped with last November in Bangladesh, and the house churches that are meeting all over the world. Thank you for the ones that just met in China, and the ones that are about to meet in a few hours in California, and uh, the ones that are taking the same table, same bread, same cup, in, uh, in all parts of the globe. And we thank you, Lord, that one day you will. You will. You pay the ultimate price. There will be a wedding. And you will have this bride beautifully adorned, prepared, and uh, washed just the way that you want us. And so we thank you, Lord, for the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to attend now to the Lord's table as you heard from our prayer. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.